You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Have you guys heard about the Red House on Mississippi Avenue North in Portland? We've got another chop scenario going on here. We have a an eviction protest happening. Two and a half city blocks wide. We've got barricades going. Same thing. Let's check it out. Let's see what's happening. reason I'm doing this is because I've had a number of you guys email me, let me know, hey, have you covered this? Is this legit? Is this a legit foreclosure process that's happened? Because the media is covering it otherwise. We're going to get into it. This might be a little bit of a longer podcast because I've got a number of articles I want to get to and there's some complexities here. So before I babble on any further, Let's go. And thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of the podcast. All right. Portland's Red House. And this is an article from Oregon Live. Oregon Live. Portland's Red House occupation continues into the third day. This was written this morning at uh, 3.10 a.m. where it was published then. Activist occupation of a block's long stretch of North Portland continued Thursday morning, stretching into its third day. Activists have fortified their position at the Red House on Mississippi after camping on the property in, month, in recent months to support the Kinneys, a black and indigenous family who had lived there for decades but lost their home to foreclosure. The group assembled Tuesday after Multnomah County Sheriff's deputies a couple of days ago. The group assembled Tuesday after Multnomah County Sheriff's deputies and Portland police officers arrived to resecure the home for the new owner, a developer that plans to demolish it. All right. But police, hoping to avoid further inflaming, inflaming the situation, left the scene quickly after intense clashes with protesters. That gave activists the opportunity to take over the house and surrounding area. Now their blockade stretches at least two and a half blocks from North Skidmore to Blandina Streets along North Mississippi and Albina, Albina, Avenues, I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry, Portland. With groups of black-clad guards posted at each intersection. This sounds like Chaz slash Chop. We're doing it all again. The most notable overnight development came when people in two cars threw explosives, including fireworks and at least one smaller device that put off smoke toward the occupation zone. According to video footage from the scene, no injuries were reported. Law enforcement has not been present at the occupation site since officers left Tuesday, but authorities have signaled that they could intervene. And what I'm doing is I'm kind of giving you a quick overview here so you can get an idea of what we're talking about, and then the deep dive will commence. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, the city's police commissioner, said he has authorized, it's interesting in Portland, the mayor is also the city's police commissioner, said he has authorized police to use all lawful means to end the illegal occupation in the gentrifying North Portland neighborhood. All right, so Mayor Ted, so when you see a story like this and the mayor of a city who's had the amount of protests that Portland has, and he is saying he's going to use all lawful means to end the illegal occupation, my first thought is he must have a reason that this is not a lawful occupation. He must know that this has been through the legal process and that the story that these people are telling may not be the truth. And Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle said on Twitter that Portland police will enforce the law and use force if necessary to restore order to the neighborhood. Lavelle also issued a videotape message Wednesday telling people in the occupation zone, leave it behind, put down your weapons, and allow the community to return to order. 
This community is getting rocked. You'll find out. This is a red house foreclosure. This is a this is a story that's going to hit national um, headlines in a big way. I think that's why I'm covering it, and because you guys wanted me to. It's what we do here. The house. Now we're getting into the house. The house built in 1896. It's amazing. Belonged to the Kinney family for about six decades, starting in the 1950s. The family paid cash, as the story goes, because they uh, basically being redlined, they couldn't get a loan. So they paid cash in the 1950s, according to the Red House and Mississippi website, which I spent about two hours last night combing through all the information there so that I can give you as much of a reasonable viewpoint on this. And much of what I found on the Red House on Mississippi website pointed to the fact that most of the storyline that's out there may not be correct. There's some stuff that people are getting wrong. And this is in the and the, the Red House on Mississippi website is basically a money grab to get donations from people who don't really understand the scenario. Imagine that. Incredible. But financial problems stemming from a criminal case involving William Kenny III. He's the son of the former owners, led to the home's foreclosure and sale. So keep that in mind. We've got a reason why this started, and it was legal issues from a criminal case. Kenny pleaded guilty, and the son pleaded guilty in 2002 to felony hit and run third-degree assault, and the juvenile equivalent of a criminally negligent homicide. He killed somebody for causing the death of an 83-year-old man, Frederick Goats, and seriously injuring Goats' wife, Anne. And Kenny basically described that as ah, just, just an accident. No big deal. Just an accident. Kenny, who now goes by William X. Nietzsche, amongst other names, he's got some other aliases too. We'll get into that. Don't worry. He was 17 at the time. At the time of the wreck, his driver's permit had been suspended for driving without insurance. Not good. Getting a big wreck. Ugh. So we've got somebody that early on is not doing things by the book. His family had paid off the house, but took out a mortgage after his arrest to pay for defense attorneys, according to the Red House website and court records. Here's the thing. They took out a loan for 100 grand. And they used twenty six grand of that. This, this is from all the information I can gather. They they paid twenty six grand of that per the family for the defense attorney. What happened to the other seventy four grand? Don't know. But in my line of work as an appraiser, what I see people doing, they usually do a cash out refinance. They take that additional money. They buy a car. They buy clothes. They maybe do some improvements on the home. But I don't think so in this case because this home does not look like it's in that great a shape. They'll buy furniture for the home, but mainly consumer items that don't have any lasting value. All right. So the, his family paid off the house, but took out a mortgage after his arrest to pay for defense attorneys. A lender foreclosed on the house for non-payment in 2018. Now, the family claims that they got confused and couldn't figure out who to pay. So they just stopped paying. 17 straight payments didn't make a payment. Guess what happens in that case? You lose your house, goes into foreclosure. All right, so the the non-payment happened in 2018. They got foreclosed on. What's been happening since then? Well, the son here, who has at least three names that I can come up with, been tying it up in court. He just tied it up in court with all kinds of stuff. And then basically the judge got frustrated and said, you know what, we're not dealing with you anymore. None of this makes any sense. 
you are coming up with stuff that is truly ridiculous. And I might do a, a segment. There's a video online on the North Mississippi Avenue of this of this young man describing why the family has been wronged. And most of it, um, it doesn't make any sense. It's not based on reality. It's based on court cases from 300 years ago and things like that. And I'm going to break that down and kind of go through that with you. But what is happening is these activists are taking this information at face value. They don't know any different. They don't understand the legality of this situation, that this has been through a court process. And there's many, many steps along the way where things could have been ironed out, but they weren't. And you lost your home to foreclosure. So unfortunately, this is a black and indigenous family that lost their home to foreclosure because they didn't make their mortgage payments. And now you have activists running two and a half blocks throughout this neighborhood and creating some real havoc for the neighborhood. A lender foreclosed on the house for non-payment in 2018 and sold it to a developer at an auction. Public records show. Let's talk about that for one second. The auction was legit, totally legit. I've had a reader um, or viewer say, hey, there's no homes for sale at that price level. It's a big house. It's not a big house. It's very small. It's a single story, one plus basement home. The basement, I'm guessing, is unfinished. I don't really know. It's two bedrooms, one bath. And the home has no value. It actually has negative value because you got to demolish it and haul it away. And that costs 20, 30, 40 grand, depending on what kind of, you know, asbestos abatement you're going to do and, you know, the stuff that you got to take care of before you get that house out of there. So that home has negative value. It's two bedrooms, one bath. It's on a 5,000 square foot site, which is a fairly small site. You're not going to do a ton with that. But the developer obviously thought, well, for 260 grand, I can do something with it. Now, people are pointing out to, oh, but the house next door is listed on Zillow for $10 million. Okay, that is a site that is almost four times as big. It's 18,000-something square feet versus 5,000, and it's a commercial structure. It's not a house. So don't tell me that this is a $10 million property. You're comparing apples to oranges. This is not a $10 million property. This is a single-family home that's going to be demolished. The house has no value. Then a developer picked up the site for two hundred and sixty grand at auction, which was legit. That's what we got going. Let's keep let's keep going here, though. Kenny, now thirty-five, told the Oregonian and Oregon Live on Wednesday that his family paid twenty-six grand for his legal bills. He is identified in police court and corrections records by the last name Kenny. Kenny was arrested at the property on a trespassing accusation Tuesday morning after Multnomah County Sheriff's deputies in Portland police converged on the home to allow contractors to put up a fence and board up the house. The people that are protesting here, it's not an eviction protest. It is they are trespassing. They are breaking the law. That's the bottom line. This was not this was not an illegal foreclosure. It was handled throughout the court system. And I'm really sorry that a family lost their home, especially a home that had been in their family for decades and decades. But from what I can see, this was financial mismanagement all along the way. That's just what it was. If you don't pay your bills and you entered into a contract, you will lose your home no matter what skin color you are. That is just how real estate works, unfortunately. Contract don't abide by the contract. Contract states, give up the home to foreclosure. That's what happened. Simple as that. Game over. 
his brother, Michael Kinney III, also was arrested on a trespassing allegation. Okay, so they're still there. Let's jump to the next article here. Day number three, North Portland's Red House remains occupied. Okay, and this is from Coin6 out of Portland. The barricades and booby traps around the Red House remain in place as tensions rise in a North Portland neighborhood over a long, drawn-out eviction. It's been going on for years, literally years. I give the kid credit. I keep saying kid. He's 35. Um, I give him credit for drawing this out as long as it has lasted. That I will give him credit for. It's not something I want to be known for, but he's tied this thing up for a long time, but it's at the end of the road. Because even the mayor is like, yep, I'm going to send in the cops. We're going to end this. I'm afraid it's going to end like chop and something really bad will have to happen. And then the mayor goes, yep, clear him out. And that's exactly what happened here in Chopped in Seattle. Um, and I was there to cover it. A day after Mayor Ted Wheeler said the illegal occupation would end, Portland uh, Chief Chuck Lovell urged those in and around the house in the 4400 block of North Mississippi to disarm. This group is armed and they are stockpiling weapons to disarm and leave the area to allow the neighborhood to return to peace and or This is a residential area that is being gentrified. And I've said many times before, gentrification isn't based on color. It is based on who has the most money and pays the most. That's just how this goes. You can make the argument that, okay, but people of color don't have the money. They can't, they can't buy the property. All right. But that is essentially the society we live in. The, the main issue here is that if this family had kept making their payments, they'd still have the house. So the question you got to ask is, what if somewhere along the way, they brought the loan current? Well, what would have happened then? We wouldn't be having this problem. But that didn't happen. And there's a whole bunch of different things along this timeline, again, that could have gone differently. And they didn't. And here we are. And now you've basically got the mayor saying, okay, got to go in there. But Lovell made it clear, patience only goes so far. Portland police will enforce the law and use force if necessary. William Nietzsche, who is the son of the evicted, so now we go by William Nietzsche, is, uh, is the son of the evicted Kinney family, said the eviction is inhumane, unjust, and should never happen again. This is generational displacement that happened. No, it's just a legal foreclosure and you are trespassing. That's the bottom line. But unfortunately, a whole bunch of other people who are there now who probably understand the real deal, they are, um, yeah, they're demonstrating and they are basically, it's the mob rules and they've ruled, they're ruling a couple of blocks in Portland. Neighbor Dwayne Mays, who spoke with Coin6, uh, supports their message, but not the vandalism to the neighborhood. I don't support them tearing up the neighborhood. I saw someone pouring a big old bag of trash on the street. Saw this at Chop, too. And I mean, like, why, Mays said. They shouldn't tear up the neighborhood. My friend lives right over there, and something got missing from his house. They're standing in his yard, spray painting the sidewalk in front of his house. Coin6 uh, News learned more about the legal proceedings the Black and Indigenous family has used to try to block the eviction. Two years ago, the Kinney family fired a f- 
filed a federal lawsuit trying to block the eviction of their home on the 4400 block of North Mississippi Avenue. Okay, here's the thing. The 35-year-old son acted as his own attorney, which is a terrible idea. He does not know the law, does not have a legal degree, did not go to school for law, although he argues that his research into this process was like going to law school. All right. But the end result is, is that if you would have maybe got an attorney, not saying you can afford it, but I think there will be some down the road here. And my next story, you'll find out, well, maybe things could have been different here if we would have made different choices. So the court documents show the family's current housing trouble started in the end of 2016 and the beginning of 2017 when the loan was transferred to another company, which is totally normal. That is normal. Your loan is an asset that gets sold. That's just how the mortgage industry goes. Single bank doesn't typically take a mortgage from beginning to end. Sometimes that'll happen, but it's very rare. Mortgages get sold because uh, mortgage companies analyze your um your loan and go, yeah, we want to keep that or no, we're going to strip this out for more portfolio. We're going to sell it to this guy over here who's taking these loans. He can, he can make a little bit of money. We'll make a little bit of money. That is just business. The lawsuit says the loan transferred several more times and the family argued they were confused to whom they would make payments. And yet a judge wrote out to them who to make their payments to and when but they are somehow still confused because that makes the narrative better that they've been taken advantage of. They haven't. They claim they have, but from everything I can tell, mm, not, probably not the case. The judge wrote documents to the Kinneys to clearly explain the transition between loan servicers and the date payment was made to each servicer. You get notifications of this stuff. It's not like they didn't get notified. Court records say the family missed 17 months of payments and were warned their house would be foreclosed. Now, I've had a house foreclosed on during the Great Recession. I was going through a nasty divorce. I had five or six homes. One of them was a condo that dropped in value incredibly, and I couldn't hold on to it. And you get notified so many times. Because the bank doesn't want to take your property back. That's another major misnomer here. Banks aren't in the business of taking properties back. They're not trying to screw you out of your property. That's not how they make money. They make money making loans and on the interest on those loans. That's, that's what they do. When banks take a property back, they lose money invariably because that's not their business. And that's why they end up selling them for a discount. This house sold for two hundred sixty grand. Because the physical structure needs to be demolished. You could argue, yeah, but you could renovate it and you're still stuck with a two bedroom, one bath home, right? That is an issue of highest and best use. So this is in my wheelhouse. This is appraisal. This is real estate stuff. And this house is a teardown and should be demolished from an economic standpoint. Whether there's a lot of feelings and memories over the years, yep, that's great. But you know, highest and best use is dictated by economic terms. And this home gets torn down because it's in a neighborhood where they can, I, they're not gonna be able to do the $10 million deal next door, because you don't have the site size for it, nor do they have the zoning, I believe, I couldn't really figure out the zoning on the subject property on the subject house. And sometimes you'll have different zoning, I don't know on that one. That's bottom line. So court records say the family missed 17 months of payments and were warned their house would be foreclosed. You bet they were. The bank is like, we don't want to take this home back. 
but we will if we need to because you're not making payments and guess what we are not making any money on this loan and we're not in the business of handing out free money that's not our deal dispatcher data from the past three months shows police have had more than 80 calls about the alleged trespassers including gunfire burglary thefts vandalism threats and other disturbances all right so now we're gonna we're gonna jump in to a son's crimes spurred the financial problems that led family to lose north portland house now at center of activist occupation i got and i'm reading this on my cell phone because i couldn't get it up on the computer and i didn't want to monkey around with logging into the oregonian oregon law you know that drill you're looking at news oh, i can't read it no I don't. but i can read it on my phone that's weird Financial troubles of the family at the center of the North Portland Red House occupation date back nearly 20 years to a criminal case involving the former owner's son. See, this family, is no, they no longer own the home, and they will not get it back down the road. I don't think so. I mean, the cases I've seen of this, and I've dealt with a lot of foreclosures, a lot of short sales, and it's a super tricky process. Once you start going down that road, you got to hire a real attorney. Don't be your own attorney figure out how to make that happen, work with the lender. These lenders will call you and call you and call you to figure out, hey, is there a way you can make these payments? Can you work something out here? Because we're going to take this bad boy back if you don't, because that's business, unfortunately. William Kinney III pleaded guilty in 2002 to felony hit and run, third degree assault, and the juvenile equivalent of criminally negligent homicide. We've, we've been over this for causing the death of 83-year-old Frederick Goetz and his and really hurting his aunt, his wife Anne. Fred Goetz was an outdoor writer and at one time owned Cameron's Books and Magazines, a downtown bookstore, so a local business owner. Kenny, who now goes by William Nietzsche, was 17. At the time of the wreck, his driver's permit had been suspended. According to police and court records, Kenny was driving with three friends back to Cleveland High School after lunch when Kenny was speeding, ran a stop sign, and slammed his car into Goetz's car. Kinney entered the Oregon Youth Authority in 2002 before transferring to the Oregon Department of Corrections, where he remained until 2007. He did five years, according to state records. During a 2005 court hearing, Kinney's family members made an unsuccessful plea to a Multnomah County Circuit Court judge for Kinney's release. In a letter to Judge Julie France, Kinney's sister, Michelle Metcalf, said her parents refinanced their house to pay for a criminal defense lawyer for her brother. This put our family in financial devastation, an outrageous mortgage. All right. So I keep also hearing in this story that this was predatory lending. I'm, and I understand that is out there. However, this mortgage, I believe the family paid on it for 13 or 14 years before it became a predatory lending situation. And um, taking out a loan to cover 26 grand, if that puts you into financial devastation, I don't think it does. And even if it was a $100,000 loan, what are payments on a $100,000 loan? Not very much. And taxes on this thing were not, not much. This thing is assessed for the county tax records, I believe, at $40,000. So the, this, the uh, county has gotten them a huge break. This is not a super valuable property. It might be to an investor, to a builder, to a developer, but they got to take a lot of risk to put that, put that thing together. That's a development. And the, the situation this home is in right now, it's a liability to the current 
owner because you've got, what, a couple hundred people protesting around it? Not good. This put our family in financial devastation. Well, you made the choice to take the loan out. That's my issue. Nobody was putting a gun to your head to take this loan. You took a loan out, you paid it for a long time, and then you stopped making payments at some point. So at some point in time, you have to have a level of personal responsibility. I did take that loan out. I still need to make payments no matter what. Otherwise, I will lose my house. That's the deal. All right. So an outrageous mortgage. It, I don't think it was. If, if somebody can show me in writing how this was an outrageous mortgage, I'm more than happy to look. But from what I can tell, we're just throwing out words because people believe those words and they may not be true. Um, adding that prison phone bills and sending money to Kinney in prison added to her parents' burden. All right, I get that. But that is not, um, that's not part of this, this process. You don't make your mortgage payment. Nobody cares if your kid's in prison. It's not relevant. It's a sad event, and that really sucks for the family. But when you make choices, when you make decisions, you got to live with the results. And we're kind of shifting burden here, aren't we? It's um, This is a case where you didn't make your mortgage payment and the bank took the house back. They sold it to somebody else. Right now, our family is pretty much at rock bottom emotionally and financially. I get that. Kenny, now 35, told the Oregonian that his family paid legal bills. Um, in a separate case, Kenny was sentenced to prison a decade ago for five and a half years. So we're talking 10 and a half years between two sentences for this guy. He'd been arrested in 2007 on illegal driving and drug allegations after police found him asleep in a van early one morning with crack and cocaine, according to court records. He also had a wad of cash and admitted he'd been driving and hitting the pipe, the records say. All right, so I'm going to assume he's maybe dealing drugs, and I don't know that for a fact, but a wad of cash and a bunch of crack and cocaine, and he's passed out in a van in the morning? Doesn't sound good. How about taking some of that wad of cash? I am guessing he had hundreds of dollars in that wad. Totally guessing, don't know. But you could make a mortgage payment with that, help your parents out, and guess what? The eviction process, the process of foreclosure, you'll stop that out. There is zero information in this story about payments being made along the way. They just stopped making payments, just didn't make payments. And when that happens, the lender goes, all right, we're, dro we're dropping the hammer. This is what we're doing. Authorities issued warrants for his arrest in 2008 and 2009 after he repeatedly skipped out on court dates in the case. Court record show. Police arrested Kenny in 2010. This is the kid who uh, mounted the legal defense for the homeowners and is now basically saying, hey, we've been illegally evicted. A Multnomah County jury found him guilty of two counts of driving with a revoked license and possessing a substantial quantity of cocaine, which leads me to believe he was dealing. I don't know that. Just taking a wild guess, putting two to two, two together. If I'm incorrect, all right, you still had a wad of cash. You could have helped mom and dad out, make a payment or two, or maybe start that lawyer process to really get them some help. At his sentencing hearing in 2010, Judge Leslie Roberts found Kinney in contempt of court 12 times for loudly and repeatedly interrupting and talking over her and the attorneys. Contempt of court. 
12 times. This guy's out of line. And the judge is saying, hey, you need to be in line. So starting at 17, we've got manslaughter, a bunch of other cases. He's out of control in court. When Kenny got a chance to speak at the hearing, he said he was a sovereign individual. All right. So we just did a podcast on that. Sovereign individuals here in Seattle area, North Seattle, Edmonds and Woodway, walking up to people's homes and saying, I'm a sovereign individual. You owe me my land back. I'm taking it back. And he's indicated he's an indigenous man and a remnant of the divine people. Legit. That's what this guy's saying. He's a remnant of the divine people. He also told people, uh, told the court at the time that he answered only to God and not the laws of Oregon. Oh, okay. That explains a lot. We are outside of the law because he only answers to God. All right. Unfortunately, God did not evict him. God did not do the, the uh, foreclosure process. Multnomah County did. So you got to deal with them. Can't work around. No work around there. Sorry. Prosecutor Ryan Lufkin urged the judge to send him to prison for five and a half years, as long as possible under Oregon sentencing guidelines to protect the public from him. Lufkin noted that Kinney's disrespect for the law had resulted in death before. We're going to see Mr. Kinney again, Lufkin told the court. He is not going to obey the law. Kinney's lawyer asked the judge for a sentence of two and a half years, but the judge rejected the proposal. Roberts told Kinney that by continuing to drive, he was playing Russian roulette with everyone's lives. His license was revoked for life, although Oregon law allows him to get it back after 10 years. Kenny told the Oregon uh, that he had his license reinstated. State DMV records, however, show a person by the name of William Nietzsche has a suspended driver's license. So even his alias has suspended a driver's license. This guy's just, he's not playing by the rules. And that's why this whole foreclosure thing is just a sham. That's what it is. It's a sham. And he's got a couple hundred people running around. They've got a kitchen on the premises. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're saying the neighbor is giving them the right to use the property. Probably not. Yeah, you know what? Go ahead and have a couple of outlaws, a couple hundred outlaws just hanging out on my property. I'm down with that. Good to go, guys. I know it's a residential neighborhood, but this is what we're doing. And yeah, you guys just do your thing. It shouldn't be a problem. Shouldn't be an issue. While in prison, Kinney violated rules on 15 occasions between 2003 through 2013, according to the State Department of Corrections. The violations included possession of contraband, assault, and disobedience, prison records show. Asked about his prison disciplinary record, Kinney said it was a difficult environment. Prison is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be an easy environment. If it was, we wouldn't send criminals there for justice for punishment. We would send them to a spa to get their nails done and a, maybe a massage, daily massage. But that's not prison. It's a difficult environment. It was a jungle in there, he said. I don't know how I survived. It's a blessing and a miracle to have survived such drastic circumstances. He's the victim. Ah, We're the victim. Nothing he did got him there. Multiple, multiple, multiple times. Kenny referred to his felony hit and run at age 17 as a mere accident that killed somebody and mangled the old dude's wife. That's a mere accident. Hmm. All right. That is called diminishing 
the truth. We're just going to diminish that so it doesn't seem quite so bad. We're not really going to take responsibility for our actions. We're going to say stuff that makes us sound better. That's what we're doing. He said the criminal justice system worked in tangent with the displacement schemes. All right, so now we're getting into wording that doesn't really apply and or make sense. Tangent with the displacement schemes. So you committed a crime. By law, you were put in prison. Your family didn't make their mortgage payments. They had their house taken back through foreclosure, which is also another lawful process. What's wrong with this picture? We're riding the coattails of this summer's riots. That's what we're doing. Riding the coattails. Um, Worked in tangent with the displacement schemes to send him to prison and to financially drain his family. Uh, We're not doing that on purpose. The family took out the loans and then they didn't pay him. So what do we got going on? I was definitely railroaded on both cases. Uh, I think... I, I'm, I'm not in agreement with that. You are not railroaded. Kenny said he grew up on the house in North Mississippi Avenue, now known as Red House on Mississippi. It belonged to the Kenny family for about six decades, starting in the 1950s, they say on a website. Family paid off the house, but took out a mortgage after Kenny's first arrest to pay for defense. Lender foreclosed on the house for non-payment in 2018. This has been going on for two years. And sold to a developer at an auction, and I looked up the public records, and that makes sense. Two hundred and sixty grand. Kenny was arrested at the property on a trespassing. All right, he's been staying in and out of the red house. Uh, his brother got arrested there. People have been camping at the property in an effort to reclaim it for the family since a court ruling in September instructed law enforcement to turn the house over to its rightful owner, Urban Housing Development L Limited. So these people are basically trespassers and squatters. They have zero rights. And guess what? They can be arrested and taken out of there legally. That's just the deal. The arrest and police present drew a crowd of up to 200 people as some chased officers away, screaming at them and throwing rocks. And that's why the cops are leaving. Occupiers have stockpiled homemade shields, rocks and bricks, and fashioned homemade spike strips to puncture the tires. Their blockade stretched two and a half blocks from North Skidmore Street to Blandena Street along North Mississippi and Albina Avenues with groups of black-clad guards posted at each intersection. Chop, right? We've already read that, but again, chop. All right. Mayor Ted Wheeler has said that he will not allow the protesters to establish an autonomous zone like the one activists built in Seattle last summer. He said he has authorized the police to use all lawful means to end the illegal occupation. And I think they're just waiting on timing. I heard another story where they do have some communication with people inside the house. But this could go wildly, wildly sideways. Shoot out. People get killed. Horrible. So there's no good way to end this. I think they're trying to work something out. They're trying to negotiate whether or not the folks in there are negotiable. I don't know because they certainly weren't at CHOP. You just had to have, I don't know, a couple hundred cops come in and do their thing, just clear things out, take control early on a, what was that? I think a Friday morning. I got to CHOP at like 6 and they'd already been doing their thing since 5, just early. It's because people are asleep. It's when you go in and do it. All right, last article here. Occupied zone in North Portland remains despite mayor authorizing use of force. 
an occupation outside the home known as the Red House in North uh, Mississippi. Talked about stashing weapons. Police don't want a confrontation, but we use force if necessary to move them from the property that's been illegally occupied for several months. This is not a legal occupation. And these people did not lose their house because the man is trying to stick it to them. They lost it because they didn't pay their mortgage. The occupation has grown since a sweep by Multnomah County Sheriff's deputies and Portland police on Tuesday morning. So a couple of mornings ago, police went through, yep, you're out of here. The home was turned back over to the property owners who boarded it up and put up fencing. At least 13 people were arrested for trespassing, including two of the family's sons. All right, and we go on to some some other stuff we've already read. Julie Metcalf-Kinney says she and her family were evicted in September after her door was kicked in at gunpoint. While you are illegally occupying the property, you no longer own it, you are trespassers, and if you don't let them in, they're going to kick your door in. That's what happens on an eviction. That's just how it goes. Usually the sheriff's department, kick your door in, clear everybody out. That's what they have to do because you're not probably going to respond to anything else. Police say the eviction moratorium due to the, and here's another thing they're saying, well, there's an eviction moratorium. Well, that moratorium started in March, and this eviction process happened in February, does not apply. Doesn't apply. And also, this eviction process didn't have anything to do with coronavirus. Didn't have anything to do with coronavirus. So that's out the window. So all of these things that people are talking about on national media are incorrect. That's why you're listening to me here, the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. All right. Police say the eviction moratorium due to the coronavirus pandemic does not apply since the judge's order was signed in February before the moratorium took effect. Family says they are now taking their fight to the U.S. Supreme Court. All right, that's fine. But I hope you hire an attorney because going in there the way you've been going in is not pretty, not pretty at all. Kenny says that many people have shown up to support the family And those are people who don't understand the true implications of what's going on, or they don't care more likely. They just want to, they just want to get in and rabble rouse and stick it to the man, anarchy, all that stuff. That's what we're doing. And the camp has grown over the past few months. All right. Like literally, they've got a kitchen in there. They're servicing people food. Kenny says that many people have shown up. Uh, Between September 1st and November 30th, there were at least 81 emergency calls for armed suspects running around, shots fired, fights, burglary, theft, vandalism, disturbances, noise violations, trespassing, and illegally blocking traffic, traffic, sidewalks, and access to homes. What a nightmare to be living in this neighborhood. What a nightmare. We want a peaceful, okay, and this is, I think, from uh, the police chief, Lovell. Um, we want a peaceful and safe resolution of the occupation of public space on North Mississippi Avenue, said Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle. We are greatly concerned about the fortification of barricades, stockpiling of weapons, armed sentries, attacks on journalists, yep, that's happened, and threats to kill police officers in graffiti in this public space. That's pretty common, though. I'm not saying it's right, but <laughs> that's just the way this this group this group rolls. And I do not believe this in any way is a Black Lives Matter protest. This is those other guys. 
There's other guys who don't have much sense of regard for anything values-wise. Our goal is for this to resolve peacefully to increase safety for all involved. I encourage those involved to reach out to our demonstration liaison officers so we can discuss a peaceful outcome. Good luck with that, Chief, but he knows that. All right, and we've got a list of all the people that have been arrested. They range in age from 21 to 44, all basically white dudes. Shocking, I know. The sheriff's office provided food and housing assistance to everyone on the property that was evicted. All right. Let's see what Mayor Ted has to say. And I was actually kind of surprised. Ted's going hardcore. Now, he did have the. I covered the protest down in Portland this summer. And after that, um, he, Mayor Ted, the protesters marched on his condominium and then he moved out. Unfortunately, all of the businesses and owners in that project, um, surrounding area, they're still impacted by Mayor Ted's presence there and a lot of protesting. Haven't seen much in the way of protest lately. Is it because the weather is not that great to be outside protesting? I kind of think so. Has a lot to do with it. Portland, Seattle, kind of rainy during the winter. I know people don't want to be outside. It's tougher to protest when it's rainy. It's not as warm. It's not as comfortable. Need a comfortable environment to be a really effective protester. Mayor Ted said in a statement, I am authorizing the Portland police to use all lawful means to end the illegal occupation on North Mississippi Avenue and to hold those violating our community's laws accountable. Breaking the law. There will be no autonomous zone in Portland. Ah, There already kind of is. We all agree many of our nation's systems and structures are fundamentally racist and require significant reforms. But this is going the other way. So what I see here is that for any cases moving forward that are legit claims of predatory lending, of having your home taken from, for, from legit reasons for gentrification, people are going to look at this story when they kind of figure out what's going on and go, are any of those cases legit? So this really impacts those who are really being hurt by these claims. This family is not being hurt by these claims. I've kind of walked through that and I could figure that out in a couple hours. But a lot of the people protesting, they don't have this background. They don't have this education. They don't have 35 years of real estate experience, which says when an eviction happens, it's gone through a court process. There has been due process. Nobody got screwed here. If they did, it's because of decisions they made by not making their mortgage payment. All right, there's a housing crisis. Back to Mayor Ted. Mayor Ted, preach it. There's a housing crisis, a health care crisis, an education crisis, an employment crisis, a mental health crisis, and an addiction crisis. Got that here in Seattle, too. It's ongoing. All of these crises are magnified in urban areas, including Portland, and these crises disproportionately impact black people. That's why it's such a terrible idea to defund the police. It's also true that illegal trespassing, ignoring lawful orders from police, blocking sidewalks and streets, and intimidating neighbors inflame these crises and make them more difficult to solve. So what's happening here is that we're just doing some protesting, not based on facts, but based on because we want to. This is what we do. We need a cause. And we're trying to spin this cause. And if I, in a couple hours, can kind of unravel this thing, I mean, this is, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at a couple of stories, look at the county tax records, look at the history, watch some videos of what these people are talking about. And it's like, oh, okay, 
Yeah. I watched the family talk out in front of this house, and it was not convincing. Not convincing. The stories they tell, the words they use, to me, it's like they know, all right, this is what we're going to spin. Well, we kind of know what happened. The judge explained it to them. They didn't make their mortgage payment, had their house taken back. That's what's happening on North Mississippi Avenue right now, per Ted. This is a lengthy, thorough judicial proceeding resulting in a lawful judge's order to evict people illegally occupying a home. Multnomah County chose the time, the place, and manner of the eviction, and Portland police provided support. Nothing more, nothing less. And the family is saying, oh, but they had guns. Well, you don't know who's on the other side of the door and you don't know if they're armed. And in an eviction process, all bets are off. All bets are off. Because there's a certain percentage of times and those cops go in, it's not going to be pretty. Guns drawn? Wouldn't you? I would. Or do we send in, in, in the genius manner Seattle's coming up with, do we send in some social workers? Some small, frail social workers. Ah, could you guys please leave? Will you guys leave? We're evicting you. No. Send in a cop. Guns drawn. Get the people out. It's time for the encampment and occupation to end. There are many ways to protect. There are many ways to protest and work toward needed reform. This isn't one of them. Illegally occupying private property, openly carrying weapons, threatening, intimidating people are not among them. Well said, Mayor Ted. Now you got to go do something. You got to end this thing. So that is, I'm pro- if there's enough interest in this podcast, and I think there is because enough of you guys have kind of commented and said, ah, oh, we're really interested in this. I'll cover some more. There's a few more podcasts I can do on this. Maybe some uh, reaction to some of the video that's out there. It's pretty entertaining. This is not an, a hard case to kind of go, here is what is happening, especially if you have a background in real estate. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people asked me, hey, Sean, can you tell us what's going on here? Because we're being told one thing, and then there's other news outlets that are covering this. It was interesting. I was watching a, um, it was a video, and I think it was Fox News, and the newscaster was kind of like pointing out some of the really super obvious conflicts in this story that didn't make any sense. And even she was kind of like, but we got this thing going on here. Is nobody seeing that the emperor has no clothes? I don't know. I think we just want to protest. I think we want to carry our guns around, want to march around and be upset. But in order to do that, you got to have a legit cause. And unfortunately, from my perspective, what I can see here, this is not a legit cause. And it's impacting those who do have a legit, a legit cause because it's creating a credibility issue. You lose credibility when you're running around doing this stuff, and it's not based on reality. And there is way more stuff I can show you guys that, that kind of just go to show, oh, we are not dealing with a fully with a full deck of cards here. We're not going down the correct channels, but that's what's happening. So that's it for me on this one. Thank you so much for sticking through with me. Um, yeah, that's it. Again, I'm Sean Reynolds from Summit Properties Northwest, Reynolds Decline Appraisal. Thanks for sticking with me. We'll catch up with you guys soon. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.